Thank you. Well, obviously, Christmas is all around us, right? At least the themes of Christmas. Uh, you can't help me see it everywhere, right? You go to the shops, you go to the grocery store, and there's songs. There are decorations. Uh, unless you're living under a rock, Christmas is just, it just hits you in the face. But I'm curious if someone were to ask you to describe the meaning behind Christmas, what sort of answer you'd give them. Let's pretend that you're at your annual Christmas party for work, right? If you have one of those. And at your work Christmas party, you begin having a chin wag with one of your coworkers who normally works on the other side of the office from you, or you only see so often, and only talk now and again, or maybe it's a close coworker, whatever the case. You're having a, a chat. And this coworker, they know you go to church, right? So they, they know that if anyone's going to have an opinion about this holiday, it's, well, it's going to be you. So, so they ask you, they say, hey, what's all this? You know, and maybe they're polite and they say, can I ask? Of course, they're going to ask, but they just say, you know, can I ask? What's all this Chrissy stuff about? Like, you know, what, what does this even mean? I don't, and they, they know that you're, hopefully you're not going to launch into a Hallmark sentimental, well, it's about family, you know? Hopefully you go to this church, you're made a little bit more of than that. And if you're not, stick around, we'll make you more than that. So, you know, hopefully you're not going to launch into, oh, well, it's about this, it's about that, it's about, don't forget, you know, but, but they, they want to hear some kind of, this person, look, they're taking the time to have a chat with you. They're actually interested to hear what the religious, if you want to put quotations around that, what the religious aspect is around this holiday. How would you answer that person? How, how would you go about, where would you begin? What would you say? Where would you start? Well, well, there's Mary and there's Joseph and there's the angels and there's the, I don't think the drummer boy was in there, but here's a song about him, okay? And of course, there's baby Jesus and we all know there's, Jesus is the reason for the season. That's right, I've heard that a couple of times, super cheesy, but I'll just keep saying it and that will kind of like wash this person over. You know, Jesus is the reason for the season. And, and okay, well, what, what would you say? Where would you begin? Seriously. Maybe you'll have that opportunity. Every single person in this room, if you're a Christian, you have, just by statistics in this country, you have non-Christian family and friends. Correct? Correct. So maybe someone's going to ask you this. All right. Let's see. Okay. So Jesus, da, da, da. It might surprise you when you open up the Bible... All four gospel writers actually have a different starting point. So Mark starts the latest, the gospel of Mark. Mark starts when Jesus is already 30 years old. He's just about to launch his ministry. Luke, the gospel of Luke for his part, he wants to rewind the tape a bit. So he actually starts 
In the birth narrative, that's what we're mainly familiar with, right? The shepherds and the angels and glory to God in the highest, which is one of the glory to the newborn king, which is one of the themes here. And what does Matthew do? Well, Matthew actually wants to press things back a little bit further. And so Matthew goes, now I'm actually going to go way, I'm going to go about 1,500, 2,000 years prior, all the way to the time of Father Abraham. Well, that's pretty good too. But not John. Now, John doesn't begin where any of the other guys do. He doesn't start when Jesus is 30 or when he's, you know, comes to earth, the manger scene, or even with Abraham. He's not satisfied with any of that. John actually starts much earlier. He reflects on the beginning before the beginning. You with me? Prior to creation itself. Jenny just read it for us, but come to John. See it with your own eyes. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, there it is, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was nothing, anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So much meaning packed into just a few words. So much there crammed into just a few little sentences. Particularly that first verse. In fact, to help, help us see it, I've broken it down into three clauses. Three clauses. Okay? Here it is. You can look at this in your Bible as well. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, that term Word refers to Jesus. But do you understand what John's doing? Again, maybe, maybe that's helpful for you to see it on the screen or not, I don't know. But do you understand, John is pressing back into eternity past and saying, this is where the story of Jesus Christ begins. In fact, the, the, the first verse that he writes here has only 17 Greek words, but he communicates three massive truths about the Lord, three massive truths, and it's those truths, those truths that we're actually going to use as our roadmap for today. Truth number one, the word is eternal. The word is eternal. Truth number two, the word is personal. The word is personal. Truth number three, the word is divine. So the word is eternal. Jesus has always existed. The word is personal. Jesus is not some abstract force, but a person. And the word is is divine. Jesus is fully God. You know, many have looked at particularly these first 18 verses. I had Jenny just read the first 14, but many have looked at these first 18 verses and they said, this is John's prologue. 
That's what this has been called, John's prologue. And many have looked at this and said, this is a literary masterpiece. And as we approach Christmas and prepare our hearts to worship the King, how fitting to reflect upon the prologue of John and to see this eternal word who became flesh. Why? Why did he do that? Oh, let's jump into the text. But before we do, let's pray. Father, as we give attention to your written word this morning, we ask, Lord, that you would reveal to us in a clear and deep and meaningful way the truth of the word made flesh that we may learn more of who he is and how we ought to trust and worship him. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So have you ever, have you ever slogged through an entire novel only to get to the very last page and it goes, and she never loved him? Or, or whatever it might be. And you had, to go, you had to go through the entire book only to go... Why didn't you tell me this in the very beginning, right? Come on. Or maybe you've gone through a whole Netflix series, right? You've binged it. Come on. You've binged it, and you got all the way to the end. You're like, oh, that was lame. Or maybe it was great. Whatever the case. The point is this. Biblical writers use that same tool. They'll wait to the very, very end to kind of say, here's, 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 the, here's why I wrote these things. This is what I was on about. This was the ax I was grinding. So that's actually the book we're reading right now, the Gospel of John. That's what John does. At the very, very end of his book, he says, you want to know why I wrote all this? Here's why. Check this out. These were written so that, here it is. Why John write? These were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. There's the reason he wrote this account. There's why he gave this biography of Christ. Okay, fair enough. But if, no offense, John, but if the point is to convince us that Jesus is the Son of God, why wouldn't you just come outright and say that in the very first few verses? I mean, Jenny just read for us, and there wasn't a lot of language per se that is just outright, that's just conspicuous, that just... Son of God, it's all of this word sort of stuff. Did you catch that? The word, meaning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Why does he write this way? What is John attempting to communicate? Well, the Greek term translated word is very common. So it's the term logos. There's even an amazing Bible software program named after this exact word, logos, right? It's not an unusual term. It's found everywhere. And it can have a range of meanings. But here's what we need to know. When the Greeks heard logos, when the Greeks heard that, uh, they had thought of an impersonal force, the, the idea of reason or logic something that gives balance to and harmony to the universe. You still with me? Okay, when the Jews heard logos, 
or dabar, if that's in Hebrew. Greek is logos. When they hear the word, they think, ah, oh, God's creative power. For example, many of you know the book of Genesis, right? What happens in Genesis? Right? There is nothing, zero, in terms of creation material itself, and God says, let there be light, and the light sprouts, boom, comes into being simply by God speaking words, by the power of His word, His command. Let there be light, let there be this, let there be that, boom, 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 and speaks. Also, the Jews thought of God's word as this idea of, of wisdom. The Proverbs talk about that. Wisdom is God's word. And those things are true, but what John does here would have made every head in the room pop up and go, pay attention. Because what John does is he takes the term word and personifies it. You still with me? In the beginning was the word. He takes logos, word, not as a description of something out there, like the Greeks would have thought of as this sort of impersonal force, or the Jews even as a uh, spoken word of God by his creative power or wisdom. He takes, takes it from something out there, and what does he do? It's astonishing. He takes that and... What does he do? He says it's in a personal living being. It's someone. You still with me? So he takes a principle and says, no, 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 it lands here. And this person, this word, has existed for all eternity. Let's take a closer look at this first clause, in the beginning. Now, when you hear me say that, in the beginning, in fact, if you didn't have a Bible sitting in front of you, and I just said to you, in the beginning, you might be tempted to say, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's true, that's Genesis 1.1, right? What John seems though to be, what is he doing? He's deliberately echoing the first words of Genesis here. Why? He's drawing your mind and your heart back to a time when God himself was all that was. Right out the gates, right from the moment John puts his pen to paper, at the very first phrase here that he turns on, we as the readers are catapulted back into eternity past. But notice what he does. Notice how he spins it. In the beginning... And there's this, there's this theme, motif, idea, language from Genesis. There's, can, you, can you see it in the text? There's light, creation, all that's going on there. But notice carefully at this very first clause, in the beginning was the word. Not in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, though that's true. What is John doing? In the beginning was the word. Word. Can you see, oh, again, if we're looking closer here, it's not going to come up here if you keep looking up on the screen. You got, I want you to use your own Bibles, okay? 
Dan's nice. He'll, he'll fling all that up for you. Okay, I'm a jerk. Ask me if I care. No, but no, you know, but no, just kidding. No, but, but go, go to the, look at it in your own Bible here. Ready? In the beginning was, you see that little verb there? Was, that's repeated again and again. Was, was the word. Now, was for us, you're like, oh man. This is, he's making a whole lot out of just a few little words there. No, 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 no. Was in English is sort of, I don't know, it's pretty bland, right? How was, how was the surf? Ah, it was average. How was your pavlova? Not pretty good. How was this? No, no, no. In Greek, was can be very significant, right? It can communicate when something happened, how it happened, and, and particularly the was that's used here, it's, it's, it's important. In other words, when it says, in the beginning was the word, it's communicating the idea of time. You with me? Time is the key. Get this, okay? Try to wrap your mind around it for a second if you can. Jesus had no beginning of his own. Jesus had no beginning of his own. He does not come into existence at the beginning, but is already in existence when the beginning takes place. The word has no beginning and no end. He always is. Mind-blowing. That is mind... Have you ever thought about that? So what came before Jesus? When was, when did, when was Jesus born? What do you mean, on like earth? When did he take on flesh? No, but when did Jesus come? Jesus always is. Well, but you see... But, but, but I, I was born the 30th of November, 1980, in Orange County, California. You know, California. Well, that's nice. But, but that's not Christ. He is the eternal word. He isn't bound by time. He transcends it. He is sovereign over time and not subject to time. The word is eternal. I mean, to... Well, what is today? Is it the 18th? I don't even know. The 18th of December, 2022? Is that what we're in? Like, that's real for us. And the Lord is present with us, yet not bound to this exact time and moment. Uh, I, there's an interesting story about uh, the founder of a magazine called Christianity Today. A guy was named Carl Henry. Really solid Bible-believing guy. Um, he defended the truth of Christianity, the, the validity of the scriptures, the trustworthiness of who Christ is. And on one occasion, he was at an event with a man named Karl Barth, who was basically his nemesis, right? This bloke was notorious for denying the authority of the Bible, the trustworthiness of who Jesus is, really. Anyway, as both these men were on a platform together, and Carl Henry was introduced as the editor of this new magazine called Christianity Today, Karl Barth quickly chimed in, oh, you mean Christianity yesterday? And the whole room burst into laughter because Christianity just, you know, we've moved past those things. And Carl Henry, without missing a beat, said, yesterday, today, and forever. That's a good comeback. 
He knew despite cultural trends that Jesus of the Bible is not growing tired. He is not growing old. He has never had a beginning. He will never have an end. The word is eternal. The word is eternal. You know, the New English Bible has a nice rendering of John 1.1. It says this, when all things began, the word already was. That's good. When all things began, the word already was. Now, that's true. Jesus wasn't hanging out by himself, though, by the way. He wasn't sort of lonely or bored. And that's why he created us. Now, he was with a perfect relationship and communion with his Father from all eternity past. Which leads us to the next part of the verse and our second point. The word is eternal and the word is personal. Look at the next clause. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was with God. God, side by side with God. From all eternity, there was a bond, there was a loving embrace of the Father and Son. They share communion and love together. Now, since you're in John, go to the right to chapter 17. Just If you're already there in John, go to 17. Um, Jesus is about, in this context here, to be crucified and that's why he says, the hour has come. And so what does he do? Right, he's about to face Calvary. First he prays for himself, then his disciples, and then his future church. Now, I want you to notice that in this prayer, Jesus looks beyond the agonies of Calvary, looks beyond it, and asks to be returned to the fellowship he experienced with the Father, this fellowship with the Father before the world began. Remember, the word was with God. When Jesus had spoken these words, John 17, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Verse 2, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Can you see that? Amazing. Do you see that unbroken fellowship there? The Son also is distinct from the Father. Right? It's not that when Jesus, it's not that Jesus is sort of putting on a mask that says Father and then he takes the mask off and now he's the Son and then he puts another mask on and it says Spirit. We have a distinction there. Can you see it? Jesus is God the Son. He's praying to God the Father, being empowered by God the Spirit. But, but he, notice there, the point is he's enjoying a perfect relationship with the Father. The Word is personal. The Word was eternally face-to-face -face with God. So the Word is eternal. The Word is personal. And now, without any further ado, 
the word is divine. Go back to John 1, this last clause. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That could be translated, and the word was fully God. Not a God. John's not be, all of a sudden become a polytheist. You know what I mean by that? It's not like John, you know, steeped in Judaism himself is going to be like, oh, all of a sudden I've just decided to just become a polytheist here and say Jesus is just a God. <laughs> it's just crazy. Besides the, all the rest of what he's been writing here, uh, Jesus, remember the point? Why did he write? Jesus is the son of God. That you may believe in him, find life in his name. That's why John throughout his entire gospel has all these I am statements that Jesus says. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's why John says this I am is God, the Son of God. That's why when, you remember after Jesus is raised from the dead and he appears to, you know, doubting Thomas, right? You know, the doubting Thomas thing and and Thomas says, I, don't, I won't believe this bloke unless I, you know, put my fingers in his side and blah, blah, blah. And, and then when Jesus says, all right, fine, you know, here, go ahead, do it. And what does Thomas say? Oh, you're a God amongst other gods. Wow, that's amazing. Now he says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus doesn't go, whoa, heresy hunter, no way. Don't call me that. No, he receives it. It's absolutely true. Jesus is fully God. Fully God. Now, if we keep reading here in John, we'd see how John continues to introduce this word, showing that he's the agent in creation. Right? Do you look at there in verse 3? You see what he's saying? All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He goes on to say that in him was life and the light of men. He then describes how some reject this logos, this word, but others received him. And, and what's the result? Salvation. Finally, in verse 14, John returns to the subject of who the word is. And what he says, dear friend, is as amazing as what we saw in the first verse. Look at verse 14. And the word, there's that term again, the logos, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Think about it. The Word, the creator of all things, the eternal one. Remember when we're talking about time and how Jesus sits outside of time? The one who is outside of time itself invades time and took up residence among us. The one who sits outside of time from eternity invades it. 
and is enfleshed among his people. James White has some helpful thoughts here. He says, the Logos was not eternally flesh. He existed in a non-fleshly manner in eternity past. But at a blessed point in time, at the incarnation, the Logos became flesh, the eternal experienced time. I mean, look, that, that should blow your mind. I'm not, I, I, this is, gonna, this is going to um, tall poppy everyone in here, and it's not my intention, but I've, I studied this week, I studied this text more than anyone in this room. It's kind of why you, part of the reason you pay me. Okay? So I, I've studied this more than anybody in this room today. Like, I, I promise you. Like, oh, yeah, you think, it's just fact. Every single time I'd come back and it's like, I never want to get numb to this truth. I never want to just go, oh yeah, the word became flesh. That's cool. I want to stand in awe and say, and marvel at this reality. Why would the eternal son do this? Why would the word take on flesh? Why? So that we could simply go, oh, that's amazing. It is amazing, but because I am stained and shot through with sin like you, because I'm separated from God because of my sin, and that there is absolutely no way that my best efforts are anything, are going to do anything to help tip the scale. Do you know what I mean by that? There, there is nothing good in me. We or you. We are separated from God because of our sin, because of what we're born into, and because of this, also the sin that we daily commit. And our only hope of forgiveness is for someone completely innocent. Is that anyone in this room? No. Someone completely innocent to take the punishment of all of our sins. Do you understand? Such a perfect life and such a perfect love are impossible for any, anyone to achieve. So God himself did it for us by sending his son from eternity into mortality, from glory to manger, from throne to manger, from glory into flesh. Ultimate hope was born in ultimate humility. That's the word of Christmas. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. What a shame to hear that and have that blow over you. What a shame for those that are still in sin and have yet turned to Christ to sit here and go, eh. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
Will you receive the Lord today? Will you come knowing that your only hope of forgiveness is this eternal word who took on flesh, lived a perfect life of obedience, and died in your place as your substitute? Will we, and you've got nothing else, and you turn to Christ alone. Will you receive him? The Bible says, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he will give you the right to become children of God. Receive him today, dear friend, if you have not. Turn to the Lord Jesus and be forgiven and saved. Let's pray. Lord, we ponder these truths not as interesting information, but as life-giving. Lord, we thank you for those of us that are in Christ here that these truths are not something that stim simply stimulate us, but something that we cling to daily. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, we have the right to become children. Thank you that we are your children by grace through faith. And we pray, Lord, that this would not just be another sermon that the unregenerate sit in comfortably in their chairs now, but that you would stir them, make them uncomfortable, and grant them repentance, we pray. Lord, we pray for opportunities amongst our family and friends. Uh, Lord, we, we ask for opportunities, actually. We pray that you would stir in the hearts of our non-Christian family and friends to ask us just a question or two. And Lord, we would seize that opportunity. And Lord, that you would give us the words to say in that moment and point to Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen.